Playback TV this Friday. I will be live covering the Denver Nuggets against the Phoenix Suns. Should be a highly anticipated matchup between two top contenders in the Western Conference. So make sure to tune in with me. We'll be talking about the game as well as various topics surrounding basketball. I will leave the link in the description. And let's tune in, man. Should be a fun one. for the love of the game this is your one and only nick andre i'm glad to have you guys tune in with me and momentarily we will or i will be bringing on a special guest to bring the to be discussing a, a college basketball team that i have been impressed with but this is going to be part two of my new segment title around the world where i dive into a few hoop topics real quick that's going on in the hoop of basketball whether it's nba w college high school you name it so first topic i want to talk about you know i always gotta talk about the women first ladies first always we gotta talk about miss cameron brink who if you follow me on twitter or x whatever you want to call it i asked the question is cameron brink the best player in the country in Sunday's game against Albany, she put up 21 points, 19 rebounds, and four blocks. She's really been on a tear all season long, averaging 19 a game, 12 rebounds, four blocks. She's already had four double doubles and only seven games played, and which is why, which is part of the reason why Stanford is undefeated so far. She's been just flat out incredible, and her journey as far as, you know, being in college has been just sensational, you know, winning a national championship as a freshman and just being able to elevate every single year after that, playing with the likes of Haley Jones and other players. The question is, you know, how, like, she is such a tough cover. How are you really going to contain her? Because she's super tall. Then on top of that, she's such a dynamic talent, not only offensively, but defensively as well. You know, I love what she brings defensively. She's a great rim protector. She's good. To, she's good to defend on the switch. You know, she's able to do a multitude of things that can impact, you know, winning. And on offense, we already know she can space the floor. We already know, you know, once she gets the ball on the block, she can pretty much score, in, you know, whether it's in the mid-range or pretty much manipulate the defense to be able to get to her spots. So, yeah, Cameron Brink has been incredible. And I know some people may disagree with my possible take. Now, I didn't say that she was the best player in the country. I just want to make that clear. But I just think that I think that it's a debate. I think that she deserves to be in a conversation, especially with the production that she's given early this season. And I know that the committee, they're all going to choose. Well, no, no pun intended to the actual committee. Shout out to the committee. I love their work. I'm not actually talking about the group, the committee. I'm talking about just people in general. Um, I know people are going to pretty much talk about Kaylin Clark, which, by the way, Kaylin Clark is sensational. And then there's a multitude of other players as well. But I think Cameron Brink definitely deserves to be in that conversation. She has made her she has made her impact early this season, and I think she's only going to get better as the, as the season progresses. Now, in the Pac-12, is going to be a dogfight because I've been impressed with UCLA, and they are a tough team, man. Kiki Rice, Lauren Betts, the rest of the Pac, they have been incredible. So the Pac-12 is going to be a dogfight pretty much between those two teams, and it's going to be great to see. But overall, you know, you got to be impressed by what you've seen with Stanford on both ends of the floor. 
Um, defensively, they're second in the Pac-12 in points allowed, giving up only 52 a game. The front, like the front court of Cameron Brink and Kiki Iriafin is sensational. And I can even I can even have a whole topic about Kiki herself because she's been incredible to begin the season. And you know, just going back, you know, because people for people who know me, I covered the Knowles uh, women's basketball team, and I was watching her game Friday night. And as good of a defensive team that Florida State was, they didn't have an answer to contain neither one of them, both Cameron Brink and Kiki Ariafin. So, you know, they may they may make themselves known as the best front court in the country as a whole. So, like I said, I'm, I'm impressed with what Cameron Brink has been able to bring to the table, and I think she's only going to continue this dominance as the season continues. Next topic I want to talk about is we're going to dive into the NBA. I want to talk about Tyrese Maxey because this has been a great year for him as well, especially to begin the year, averaging 26 a game, seven assists, shooting 46% from the floor. Uh, he's already had four 30-point games and, of course, one 50-point game against the Indiana Pacers. Um, so if you've been watching – if you've been watching the Sixers up closely, then you know that Tyrese Maxey has been built for this moment. You know, he's already shown flashes to be a number two option, you know, for the Sixers. And I think once James Harden got traded away, that was the green light to say, hey, you know what? Now you can be the next guy to Joel Embiid. And who knows? And I don't I don't want to make this bold statement, but I think Tyrese Maxey could possibly be the secret recipe to possibly getting Philly to the finals. And I know that sounds crazy considering all of the, all of the players that Joel Embiid has played as, like alongside, whether it's Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, and then of course, recently James Harden before he got traded away. But I think, I think those two complement each other well. And I know that, I know that Tyrese Maxey isn't a superstar by any means, but you know, what he brings to the table as far as his confidence and, you know, his scoring ability, just being able to score inside and out, just being able to break down the defense, being able to get to the basket, you know, he's just been sensational as a whole. And I'll be honest, man, you know, Philly's looking good right now. I want to say they're, what, 12 and 5 right now. They recently beat the Lakers. They beat the dog shit out of the Lakers, which is fucking crazy to me. But I'll be real, man. I don't see Tyrese Maxey slowing down anytime soon. So, you know, I think the question has to be, could he possibly be the NBA's most improved player of the year? You know, when you look at the numbers and when you look at the impact, I think that he has – the utmost potential to possibly win that award. I definitely see him winning the all. I definitely see him making the all-star team this year. I don't think there's a debate about that. And I know that there's a lot of great guards in the Eastern conference, but I think somehow, some way Tyrese Maxey has to be able to get into that all-star spot in the, um, in the Eastern conference. So, you know, it's been a great first month of the season for Tyrese Maxey. It's been a great first month of the season for Philly as a whole. I mean, hell, they got the reigning MVP and he's still leading the league and scoring. He just had a triple double against the Lakers. Um, uh, a few nights ago, so I'll be real, man. You know, Philly is a team that's been really, really impressive right now. They compete with Boston as far as one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and I think that momentum can only continue moving forward. And the last topic I want to talk about before we get out of here, or before we move on at least, is, so I had a conversation with one of my good friends, um, and we were talking about Scoot Henderson. For those who know, he was a third overall pick in the draft by the Portland Trailblazers, basically expected to be the new franchise point guard because obviously once he got drafted, that means that Damian Lillard was going to be out because I, I can't remember exactly. I don't know if Dame had requested the trade before the draft or like shortly after, but I think once once Scoot Henderson was drafted, 
everybody pretty much knew that it was the writing on the wall for Dame to get up out of Portland. Now, one thing that I'll say for School Henderson, it's been a rough start. Um, I think that, you know, he's he's I think the thing about it is that he's he's adjusted to the NBA slower than others, because obviously when you look at the draft, you look at how great Victor Wimbayama has been playing. You look at what Brandon Miller's been able to do in Charlotte. By the way, I told y'all he was going to be nice in Charlotte. Y'all doubted me for sure. But when you look at a lot of his peers in in this year's draft, they've actually – I mean, I'm not going to say that, that they've been playing incredible, but they've had their moments. And a lot of people are still awaiting for that school Henderson moment, which I think will come. I think it just takes time. But, you know, back to my friend, he, he had asked me a question like, man, like, is a G League Ignite really – developing players the way that they need to and it really did spark a conversation now i'll be real two years ago i was i was high on you know the g league at night and everything that it had going i even wrote an article on one of their first games that they had played and obviously you know every single year that they play you know they've had a losing record in the g league but you know you got to understand you know you got a lot of young 18 19 year olds you know playing against semi-professional players i know that it's not the nba by any means but even those guys in g league they are professionals and they can hoop so people have to understand that now you know when you look at what the g league and when you look at what the g league ignite has produced like 2021 jalen green jonathan kaminga uh dyson daniels uh 2022 i know michael foster was on the team he's in the g league right now and now even this year with Scoot Henderson, who was projected to be number two. I know a lot of people did pick him to go number two, but obviously we all know now it was Brandon Miller. So that's honestly a good question. Um, I'm still high on the G League. You know, I can't go there yet. And I, th- I still think that it's a brand new program that people have to be patient about. You know, I get it. You know, a lot of these guys have not gotten off to the best start in their careers. Um, I know that Jalen Green, Jalen Green has had his moments, but when you look at that 2021 draft, it's like, you know, you look at the guys like Kate Cunningham, you look at other guys as well, Scotty Barnes, um, you know, not saying that Jalen Green hasn't played relatively well, but, you know, it's almost like he's kind of like an afterthought. It's like, oh, damn, like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about Jalen Green out of Houston. And, you know, and, and that's not a diss whatsoever. It's just, you know, it is what it is. Um, but when you look at the production, hell, even Jonathan Kaminga, you know, I know that he's a champion with, with the Golden State Warriors, but even he has had, his ups and downs. And I think people are still awaiting on his opportunity, which, I mean, it could be situational considering, you know, where Golden State is at. And, you know, with the combination of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, you know, the younger guys may not get the opportunity that they expect to. But, you know, as crazy as it is, you know, I know a lot of people, they, I know some, some people do have some mixed emotions about the G League Ignite and everything, you know, how they produce players. But the one thing that I can say is, I think it's going to be a work in progress. You know, will they have to make some adjustments soon? Possibly so. But I'll be honest, you know, I still think that it could be a good, a good experience for a lot of young players who want to, who don't want to, who don't want to take that traditional route and go to a D1 college and they want to get that early professional experience. I think that, I think that the G League Ignite is a great step. So, you know, I'm, I'm still a believer in it. I know a lot of people have some mixed emotions about it. But people also have to understand, like I said earlier, you know, it's still a work in progress. You know, this is still a young program. I think the Ignite is going into their – I think right now they're playing in the fourth season. So, of course, it's not like what it is in college, you know, with all these programs been, be, being around for centuries. You know what I'm saying? So this is something – this is going to be a work in progress. And I think in the end, I think that they'll they'll find a way to figure it out. And 
be able to get these guys ready for the NBA, you know, in due time. But, you know, that's my last topic for around the world. Make sure to tune in with, with me next week. I'll have three or four more topics that we that I can discuss with you guys and see what you guys think. Definitely let me know, you know, what your thoughts are about the segment. You know, do you guys love it? Do you guys think that I may be going too long? Because I know I'm going about, you know, 11 and a half minutes, and I didn't expect to go too long. But definitely appreciate all the love and the support. Now, without further ado, I will be discussing a really great college team in the AAC conference with one of my brothers. Tune in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we are back. Um, I got a very special guest with me. You all, you guys have seen him on the pod before. You know, we covered the Memphis Grizzlies before the season began. And unfortunately, you know, it's been a struggle for that team <laughs> to begin oh, the year. Come man. on, man. I had to I had to talk about it, man. But no, but this oh. time, this time we're diving into another Memphis team, which is the Tigers. And I got my guy Francis with me, man. How you doing, man? Sorry, so, sorry about that intro, man. I know it was pretty crazy, but you know, oh, I had to, man. Had, had, had to discuss it, man. <laughs> but now how you doing, man? Dude, I was feeling good. I'm always happy to be on this podcast. Uh, it's always an honor to be on here talking <laughs> hoops with you. And then the first thing you talk about oh, it, Memphis man. Grizzlies, man. Don't even get me started. This is we're not talking about the NBA. We're not talking about the Grizz. This isn't the time for a soapbox about the NBA. This ain't the time. Uh, I, I'll I'll just say injuries, just injuries. That's all. Injuries, I'll say. Yeah. Lo- that's, lots that's, lots of injuries, and that's, Marcus that, I mean, Smart that's, yelling that's at the team. Yeah. That's it. yeah, it's been definitely a crazy amount of injuries, chemistry issues, you name it. But hey, yeah. Giles almost back. Yeah. So, he's almost back. There's like there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel, kind of. <laughs> yeah, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and John Red will magically fix all of the issues <laughs> of the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> hey, man. Oh man! All right, no, yeah, right, let's yeah. That aside, Grizzlies aside, uh, I Memphis Tigers basketball is is on the up and up. We're gonna dive deep into it. I'm very excited to talk about the Tigers. And I'm happy to be on the pod, and I appreciate you inviting me. So let's let's do yeah, it. Yeah, not, not a problem at all, man. But before we get into the targets, man, I gotta ask, man, how was your Thanksgiving, man? Because I know you traveled a lot, man. You know how was it? Yeah. How was everything? It was great. I, I went to Chicago, saw my wife's family, my in-laws, which is a, a I guess a weird thing to say. <laughs> We've been married. Well, coming up on our year anniversary on the 16th of December. Nice. So coming up soon on, on one year but yeah in chicago saw saw my wife's family my family now too spent a lot of time together and ate some awesome food saw the sights drove through chicago i mean chicago is great like what, what what's not to love about the city the culture the music the food it's great the, the it's so beautiful it's such a beautiful city uh, it snowed even the, when we were there and seeing the snow come down Fall through downtown Chicago with the it's snow. already snowing. Okay, yeah, man. Early. Okay, it was great. So I, I had a great Thanksgiving. How about you, man? What what uh, what foods do you like? What are your favorite holiday foods? Thanksgiving foods. So as crazy as it is, I'm not the biggest fan of Thanksgiving turkey, but I love just about okay. everything else. Um, right. I love yams. I love obviously mashed potatoes. Yeah. Um, what do we else do we have? I think we had green beans, uh, collard greens, yeah, collard greens as well. Oh, I'm trying to think, what else do we have? Oh yeah, stuffing, yep, or dressing, whatever you want to call it. So yep. I'm a, I'm pretty much a fan of almost everything else. I mean, it's not that I hate Thanksgiving turkey. I just I don't know. It's like sometimes when I do eat it, I guess depending on how how it's cooked, sometimes it can be a little bit dry. But besides that, sure. I love just about every other dish that comes along with Thanksgiving. 
do you eat a different type of meat then? Do you have a, a different? So family, if you're not depending a de- depending on like who I'm with, because like sometimes I'll be with different different families. Like I I may have one family where one part of my family they may they may cook a ham or smoke a ham, Ooh. and sometimes I may I may I may dive into that. And that's that's normally that's usually pretty good. You know, that's that yeah. is usually pretty good. But yeah, I mean yeah, besides okay. that, I think all I've had as far as meat wise was turkey and then of course ham as well. What about you? Sure. Yeah, I. I grew up not liking turkey, but the more I've eaten it cooked by my wife, who's who loves Thanksgiving food in general, right. and then I more have had it from my my wife's family. They they make it a, a mean turkey. I it's so moist, flavorful. So they've converted me. Like they make a good turkey. I'm Filipino. My family doesn't really. We never really celebrated Thanksgiving with a turkey. We would just we do a a, a pork lechon. Uh, because that's kind of our Filipino thing. So I always ate lechon on Thanksgiving instead of turkey. Uh, but my wife, Thanksgiving is a big thing for her and her family. They do the turkey. They do the whole nine yards. And, yeah, I couldn't – I can't complain. I, I, I was stuffed. Could not complain. Any favorite desserts by any chance? Oh, sweet sweet potato pie. I mean, potato come pie? on. Like, okay. Sweet sweet potato pie is 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 my favorite Uh Pumpkin pie. I like sweet potato pie better, but I, I'll I'll do pumpkin pie as well. Uh, I like my wife's family made a, a really good flan. That was also delicious, so I enjoyed that a Very lot. Good, yeah. But really, really sweet potato pie. That that's my thing. And I I love yams. So yams are kind of dessert, but you eat it with everything else because you mix the yams with the mac and cheese and yes. the turkey. And I the forgot to mention mac and cheese. Crazy. Yep. Yeah. You mix it all together, and the yams become from a dessert they turn into an entree or a side of an entree it's 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 yams are a beautiful thing <laughs> you know it's crazy i'm i'm glad you're one of those because there's so many people that are always like oh i don't i don't like my food, touching my food is, and this and uh, that. yeah like yeah uh, it's so sometimes the combination can be good you just got to give it a try no question no question no question not for sure but now my thanksgiving was good glad to hear that your thanksgiving was great as well without further ado let's dive into some basketball the memphis tigers who are currently five and one right now? How are you feeling about the team? You know, um, in this early start. Yeah, it's it's been a. I guess you know we'll talk about the Villanova game and the Battle for Atlantis tournament in greater right. depth in a moment. But you know, I guess with the Villanova game in mind, it's a it's been a bit of a roller coaster. You know, we were all all Memphis fans. I covered the Memphis Tigers for Bluff City Media. All of us who cover the team, who follow the team. I think we were all feeling ourselves. We were all on a pretty big high, especially after the Arkansas win, beating a top 20 team uh, at the time. Arkansas was ranked 20th, and we were all feeling really good about the team. I, I've I've felt really good about the team entering the year. You know, I've had back and forth with uh with a certain Walker uh, from Off the Ball Network <laughs> about <laughs> about Florida Atlantic University and the Memphis Tigers. Uh, and so, and we'll talk about FAU later as well. Uh, but I'm really high on this Memphis team. I think this is a very good, veteran, versatile squad that really has all the tools to find success in March. Now, we're going to talk about again. We'll talk about more in depth in a moment. But I guess I have, I have some big takeaways. If you don't mind me, just yeah, go ahead. Yeah, spewing them off. So, my, I have four big takeaways. But the last one is really quick because we'll talk about him later. So first, rebounding. Rebounding is a massive issue. I mean, Nick, they rank 141st in rebounds per game and 215th in offensive rebounds per game. That's that's um that's not good. 
that's really not good. They, yeah. they're. I, I, I don't think it's a lack of a lack. And of not to mention, sorry not to cut you off. Like one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of second chance points, a lot of second chance points have a been lot. given up recently, and that's something that they're, de- they're definitely going to have to figure out moving forward. Absolutely, and and I if if we can see that, you know, when, when we watch the Tigers play and looking at stats, the coaching staff knows this too. Like they're right. they're working on ways to fix the rebounding issue, uh, and I'll I'll talk about some some ways as well. But you know, rebounding is a definite problem that has to improve, no matter the positives that have happened throughout the first part of the season. And then another one for me is I think this team really does need a true identity. So many guys in this roster can get buckets. I mean, the whole starting five. You go. Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills, Jaquan Walton, David Jones, Jordan Brown, all five of those guys can get a bucket. You know, they all of them. You can just give them the ball, they'll self-create and find a way to put the ball in the hoop. And that that's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because when the shot clock runs down, when the offense breaks down and the other team is playing good defense, you can just throw it to a guy who can put up a shot within the last five seconds of a shot clock. And it might go in like there's a good chance because they're good at creating their own looks, but it's a it's a curse at the same time because there isn't a lot of off ball movement, Nick. When you watch the Tigers play, I realize a that, lot. Yeah, yeah a, a lot I feel of like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of like there's lack of off ball movement. But I feel like you know, like I I feel like with this team, and this is one thing that I noticed a lot with the Villanova game, and I feel like they got away yeah. from like really initiating a lot of ball movement. I feel like that has to start with Javon Quinley, which we will dive into later in the show 100% you're preaching to the choir it, it, it's too I wouldn't say that they're playing hero ball because I still think they do run sets but the sets aren't intricate enough there's not enough movement off the ball to make it to keep a defense guessing everything is pretty much in front of the defense right now when you're playing right. the Memphis Tigers and Memphis has the personnel to to make teams pay because they have scores but when you're facing the more disciplined teams, the the more athletic, defensive-minded teams, that's not going to fly. You, you need off-ball movement. You need things to keep the defense on their toes, keep them guessing. And so I think they need an offensive identity. They, they really need to figure that out. Right now, it's still too much individual scores and not enough team offensive identity that's been established. So we got to see what happens there. The third one is... With all those issues in mind, I still think Memphis's ceiling for me hasn't changed. I think this is a second weekend team that can find more success in the tournament depending on matchups. So, you know, you make a second weekend and there's an upset that happens. You face like a 15 seed or whatever the hell you face, and then you move on. Like, it, it happens all the time in March. So, depending on matchups, they could even go further. I think this team has, like I said at the, at the jump, it's versatile. It's veteran-led. They have multiple scores. They can defend. They, they, they. I think they really get along with each other as a team as well. I think the chemistry is, is really good. I think Penny Hardaway improves as a coach as the year goes on. He's done that really the past five seasons. He's always gotten better as a coach as the year goes on for the Tigers. So I, I really still, I really think even with those issues I mentioned before, Memphis is still a second weekend team that could even find more success depending on the matchup. And fourth, and I'll keep this one brief. Uh, is Jordan Brown is the ceiling raiser for this team. Uh, I, I'll, I'll just, I'm not going to bury the lead because we're talking about Jordan Brown in a minute. So I'll just be upfront yeah. with it. I've been pretty disappointed, man. Like it's, it, he's definitely been the most disappointing tiger. And this guy won the Lou Henson award for the best mid-major basketball player last season. And he doesn't look like that 
at all. And a lot of that's conditioning as well. But I think Jordan Brand will be the secret to Memphis finding prolonged success in March in the conference moving forward. Like he he is the key. So we'll we'll talk about Jordan Brown in a bit. But those are my four big takeaways. I can definitely agree on the Jordan Brown take in. You know, I just want to ask you too because now he's placing his new starting role. Obviously, you know, because he transferred over, and now he's placing this in his role as now the starting center. Which you guys did have DeAndre Williams for I can't remember how many years, but I know that you guys had him for at least a few years. But <laughs> wow, how do you feel? Yeah. So, like, how do you feel about DeAndre Williams no longer being with the team because he did get denied by the NCAA to play another season? And obviously, you know, he's 27 years old, so you know, obviously, he's up there in age. How do you feel about him? not being a part of the team this year. And has that, has that impacted the team from your eyes? I think it has impacted the team. I mean, if DeAndre Williams and his waiver were not denied, he raises, like, he he instills a sense of maturity and calm that I, I know, I'm not saying this roster lacks, but the roster needs to find. They yeah. still need to find that sense of of calmness. Is it Javon Quinterly? I think, I think it is. But, the team still needs to figure that out. DeAndre would be that guy. He would be the unequivocal leader of the Memphis Tigers. That kind of goes to what I said before about the team needing to find an identity. Needs to find a true leader as well. You know, could, is it David Jones? Is it Javon Quinterly? Is it Jordan Brown? We just don't know yet. And, and they got to figure that out sooner rather than later. So no DeAndre Williams definitely hurts in that respect. I think uh, uh, the on-court product of, of Dre... We all know how good he was last season. He was just absolutely incredible. He's such an efficient basketball player who can kind of just do everything on the floor, offensively, defensively, rebound, stealing, blocks, everything. He's just he's one of the best players in college basketball. And, you know, losing him definitely matters. But, you know, it's, it's something that didn't shock me. DeAndre Williams not playing this year didn't shock me seeing that his waiver got denied. I mean, it's the NCAA. I know. I don't know what else to say to you. And last time I checked, the NCAA doesn't really like the Memphis Tigers very well and Penny Hardaway. So you know, it is what it is. And I think Memphis is is well equipped to make up for the loss of DeAndre Williams. Yeah, I know. I know that social media and everybody you know they like to clown him a lot just because you know he is like one of the like one of the elder statesmen of the um, of the NCAA. But you know, I mean, you you talked about his impact, you know, and I feel like. He was very, very impactful to that team, and you know, and it was part of the reason why they won the uh, the conference championship last year. And I think that you know, oh, yeah. with his presence being gone, you know, I definitely think that it is missed. But let's dive back into Jordan Brown because you know you talked about your disappointment with him, and I must say, you know, just you know, because I I think over the past few nights I probably I probably went back and watched like three Memphis games. Obviously, you know, all of them being with, with the battle for Atlanta. And right, I feel like, and we talked about you know they're like a ball movement and their lack of you know movement, you know obviously as a team, I feel like personally, I would love to see Penny possibly run more sets for Jordan, whether as yeah. play him in the pick and roll, whether that's, you know, put him on the block possibly and, you know, allow him to go to work offensively, you know, being able to get to the basket. I feel like, I feel like maybe possibly allowing him to be more engaged to the offense that could possibly make him a better player as a whole, obviously on both ends. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm not, so I'm, I don't, disagree with that take I, I do think he should be getting more involved i my only pushback to that is he's just not ready yet for that offensive sure. load i just don't think he's there with his conditioning you you watch jordan brown film from last season and 
he's never like he's never been like a vertical lob threat or somebody who's going to jump jump out the gym. He's just like a 6'10, 6'11 dude who's super long and has good footwork, strength and knows how, knows how to use his body and footwork to to put the ball in the hoop when in the post. You could just throw the ball to Jordan Brown last season and it was an automatic bucket. I mean, he averaged 19 points a game. Like he, and he's not a three-point threat. So to average 19 points a game and not really not shoot the three, I mean, you've got to be a, a bucket in the post and that's what he was. And right now when I watch him play, it's just clear he doesn't have He's just not there physically right now. Uh, I've heard some, I've heard some things in the Memphis basketball ether that Jordan Brown didn't play any basketball over the last summer. Oh God! Whether or not that's true, I don't know. I've just heard that from from some people that I that I trust, and it doesn't shock me when I watch Jordan Brown play. It, it just doesn't shock me at all. He looks a step. Uh, maybe a two steps slow on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, his feet just aren't quick enough to get to the spots he wants to get to on the floor when he's posting up. And you know, all you have to do, not only is it the eye test, just look at just look at his stats. I mean, he's yeah. he's just averaging six point eight points a game, four point three rebounds, which goes to the rebounding issue I talked about before because he averaged eight point six last season. He's only average. He's averaging half of that right now, which is a problem. Blocks. He only averages half a block per game. Last season, he averaged one point two, and I think a lot of that is just conditioning. While, while I again, I I agree that as the season moves on, I want to see him get more involved in the offense because we know how good he is. Right. But right, he's just not there yet. No, right not at the moment, that. he's just not there yet. Okay, so let me ask you this. So is that part of the reason why in closing lineups, Penny will rather go with a guy like Nate Jordan as far as being at five men for the team? I, I think that there's no question that's the case. I mean, look at the Villanova game, and, and granted, that was that was that was not good for the Tigers. Jordan Brown only played nine minutes. Nick yeah. Jordan played 21. And you know, I think what and we'll talk about Jordan. I'll talk about talk about him more later. He is so he's so he's just energy in a bottle. Like he's he is, so yeah. tough. He plays with so much energy and drive and effort. He's so versatile. He can guard one through five. I'm on record saying that I think Nick Jordan is the best pound for pound defender on this team. He re, I, I really believe that. A lot of defense, as you know, is exactly a lot of defense is effort. You know that, Nick. And he mm -hmm. is he plays with so much effort on the defensive side of the ball, plus he's athletic, plus he's long, plus he's tall, plus he has quick feet. Uh, so I, I I think the that I think that is why Jordan Brown hasn't been in a lot of closing lineups, just because you know you, you really need the effort and energy at the end of games. And like you know, the Villanova game is a good example. Jordan Brown got beat on so many backdoor cuts. Like he almost like looked left, right. He, he just got beat so many times because he just didn't have the the wherewithal, the awareness, the foot speed to catch up and and be there defensively. He only played nine minutes that game. I mean, that's in the championship game. Uh, one of your best players supposedly playing nine minutes is just not good enough. That's just it's not going to cut it. So yeah, I I think that that is a big reason why Jordan played more minutes, plays more minutes in in the closing time. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that we touched on Jordan, and I know that you're going to a little bit later. But I love like it's like you mentioned, I love his energy, and I 
I can't remember if it was the game against Michigan or the game against Arkansas, but I know that he got some big defensive stops, you know, being able to like, you know, be in the middle, being able to alter shots, being able to block shots. And then of course on the other end, you know, being a floor space and being able to knock down three point shots. So it's crazy because I didn't know much about him before the season began, but you know, watching him, especially, you know, once he's, once he's inserted into the game, he really does provide a spark on both ends. So I'm really, really happy. And I really, I really love his role on this team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you might as well just talk about him now. He's just yeah. so, <laughs> uh, I mean, offensively too, he knows his role. He He's very efficient on the offensive side of the ball. He doesn't force a lot of shots. He takes what the defense gives to him. And he's he's good at finding pockets of space to get open looks. He, he He's good at moving off the ball to make himself available for, for a three-point shot. He's also good in the post, in the dunker spot, to just being in the right place at the right time. Honestly, it's a bit of a DeAndre Williams thing when I watch Nick Jordan on offense. Like, just a lot of efficiency, basketball IQ, and, you know, I, I think Nick Jordan is, is is a bit of an unsung hero and will be a big part of the Tigers moving forward. So let me ask you this now. So let's say, hypothetically, you know, the season continues. Jordan Brown doesn't really show many improvements with his conditioning. Could you possibly see a lineup change? Like, like could you see Penny possibly making that lineup change and inserting Jordan, or do you think that he's good in his role now with the second unit? No, I, I, I 100% think Jordan would would take his would take Jordan Brown's spot uh, in the lineup. It's you know what when you replace uh, when you look at the lineup numbers for the Memphis Tigers. You replace Nick Jordan, sorry, you replace Jordan Brown with Nick Jordan. The defense is ranked 90, 98th in the country in defensive efficiency. I mean, it's six games into the year, but that's pretty damn good. Like that, because Jordan Brown has been an issue on the defensive end, and Nick Jordan is such a positive on the defensive end. So, you know, Jordan Brown's offensive game, we know how good he is on offense and how good he can be. But if, if we don't see improvement from Jordan Brown, Penny Hardaway, we know he's not he was he's not shy with changing lineups like he's yeah. not shy at all so yeah i i think that change will definitely come if jordan brown doesn't improve yeah i i hope so man because i i, I like jordan brown i think that he has potential to be a really dynamic player a dynamic player and a really important piece of this memphis team but you know i mean you definitely make a lot of good points you know there are times where he is beat on defense you know where a player may cut back door and you know he ends up losing them i think there was one play when he played against villanova and you know, he ended up setting the screen, but he didn't end up getting back at the next, you know, boom, you know, Villanova gets an easy lane. So that's something that he's definitely going to have to improve on. But I'm hoping that he does. I'm hoping that he understands. And I'm sure that the coaching staff and everybody's working with him. So hopefully we can see some improvements, you know, as the season progresses. But next thing I want to dive into is this new backcourt that Memphis has. So obviously they had one of my personal favorite players last year in college, Kendrick Davis, who was just a phenomenal yeah. all-around player. But now – you have Javon Quinterly, who is a transfer from Alabama, and you have Caleb Mills, who was a transfer from, from FSU. And I'm going to say, you know, in the games that I've watched, I think they really complement each other really well. So what are your thoughts on on this new backcourt for, uh, for Memphis? Yeah, I fully agree. I think they complement each other very well as also. Uh, JQ is so – I, I think his quickness is a little underrated. He's really shifty, and I think he's a lot quicker than people may expect when you, when you think of Javon Quinterly. He has a really good ability to get downhill, be crafty with his layups. I mean, he was a part of the Jelly Fam in high school for a reason. Like he's, right. he's got a layup package, and he knows how to finish amongst the trees. He can also knock down shots from deep. And when Javon can dribble penetrate, Caleb Mills is is a capable. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he's a great three point shooter, but he's a capable three point shooter. So you can he can kick out the Caleb Mills. 
but also Mills at the same time can also break defenders down and get to the rim. I don't mm -hmm. think Caleb Mills is the quickest guy, so I, I think JQ is definitely quicker than Caleb Mills. Right. But I think Mills is a little bit craftier with it with his handles, with the way he uses his body and his length to get by defenders. And if he gets downhill and draws two, JQ is another good guy to have on the wing to kick out to. And we know Javon Quinterly is a good three-point shooter. So I, I really I agree with you. I think their games do complement each other very well. Defensively, I think Caleb Mills has been a pleasant surprise for me on really the defensive yeah. side of the ball. I mean, like last season, I he was not good defensively for Florida State. You know, that team also wasn't very good. But yeah, they weren't. The <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the same time, Caleb Mills' numbers were, were bad. And I, I'm pleasantly surprised to see the energy and effort he's playing on the defensive side. JQ was coming off one of his best defensive seasons last year for Alabama. He's translated that to Memphis as well. So this backcourt actually is a, is a better defensive backcourt than I thought it would be entering the season. And offensively, yeah, I fully agree. I think they complement each other very well. Uh, I do want to see Javon Quinterly run the offense more. Uh, they 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 got they improved from the early season turnovers against. I'm forgetting who they played in their very first game. Uh, I should remember, but I don't remember right now. Uh, and a lot of their issues was just random dudes just bringing the ball up the floor and just turning the ball over. I'm like, what? What's happening? Why is Javon Quinterly not the one taking the ball up the floor? Now you watch him play in the Battle for Atlantis. It is Javon Quinterly more times than not bringing the ball up the floor, starting the offense, being a calming presence to get everybody settled. Uh, but I, I, I really want JQ with the ball in his hands, initiating offense, because uh, I think he's veteran-led, he's experienced, and he's just a really good player, straight up. Yeah. I think I think the offense runs better when Javon Quinterly does have the ball in his hands because the one thing about it is that he doesn't play too fast in a way. You know, he plays at his own pace. And on yeah. top of that, you know, I feel like Memphis is better off, you know, really getting into the sets and a half court offense. So that's something that I definitely love to see when it comes to Javon Quinterly running running the floor on offense. But also, the, like, what I, what one thing I love about Caleb Mills and one thing that I that I noticed, you know, watching this team is, you know, he makes a lot of great timely plays. You know, like you know, whenever the team needs a great defensive play, he can get that. You know, he can get a steal that that may lead to a transition bucket. I know that he's not the most consistent shooter perimeter shooter out on the outside, but he can knock down some timely shots. So that's one thing that's one thing that I that I have noticed about Caleb Mills because even even before he got to Memphis, like I'm not gonna say that I hated him, but I also wasn't really <laughs> too high on him at the same time. But you know, he's really, really shown really good um, improvements, you know, throughout his first season in Memphis. And, you know, it's really it's really, really good to see. Yeah, fully agree. And that their first game was Jackson State. That's 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 what I thought in my yeah, head, yeah. but I was too afraid to say it. So I got it. Jackson State. <laughs> No, nah, I get that. No, nah, for sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on? Because I mean, we, we kind of touched into it a little bit. But what are your thoughts on the team defensively? Because one thing that I could say is I think that they can be good, but and this is kind of my knock on Penny a little bit. You know, not not trying to do, not trying to discredit him because I think that he's a great coach. But I feel like sometimes he may not have his teams prepared for certain defensive matchups. And I guess I guess one thing that I took away from it was, you know, when they played Michigan, one of the ways that they got back into the game was the three point shooting. And I feel like yeah. there was like really like a lack of closeouts. You know, I don't know like what type of offense they were running. And that was really how they got back into the game was was the three-point shooting. Then the next game when they play Arkansas, one thing that I noticed about Arkansas is that they love to attack, they love dribble penetration, and, and they do love to get to the rim. So I would have loved to see more of you know closing the driving lanes and everything. And look, I'm not trying to discredit Penny because I love him. I think yeah. he's a great coach, but I feel like sometimes 
you know, he could possibly prepare, prepare his team a little bit more defensively. Like, do you agree with that? And what are your, what are your takes on the defensive effort Memphis? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I partially agree with that because it goes to what I said before about Penny. I think he improves as a coach as the year goes on, goes on, as yeah. he gets more familiar with the personnel as well. You know, like this team is completely different from mm-hmm. last year's team. That's that's true. This, that's this true. is a brand new roster. They're still getting to know the defensive tendencies, their issues, what they're good at. They're still trying to learn Penny, Penny Hardaway's defensive philosophy as well. You know, one thing is for sure about Penny Hardaway, he loves his defense. Like he, Fast. if you can't play defense, he, you're not going to be on the floor for Penny Hardaway. Uh, so you know, I, I do think that's a big thing for him. Um, and I think as as the time goes on, as the season goes on, I think the defense will improve. The defense will get better. I mean, entering the game, entering the game against Villanova, Memphis ranked 47th in defensive efficiency. Now they rank 98th because of the Villanova game. <laughs> so that changed. But entering the Villanova game, where before that they had just beaten Michigan, they just beat Arkansas, they, they got a big road win against Missouri at Missouri. They did, yeah. They, they, they out, were playing really good defense. Uh, Villanova, they, they just blitzed them with three-point shooting. I mean, they just didn't miss in the first half. They, they just didn't miss anything from deep. It was insane. Uh, but no, I, I think defensively, the, the sky's the limit with this team. It's very long. It's very athletic. It's very versatile. It's very switchable. Uh, and you know, with Nick Jordan, we talked about him before. He he's he's really the the def- defensive Swiss Army knife and the answer to a lot of issues for Memphis defensively. The hope is that Jordan Brown can get his conditioning up to, and be the defensive player he was last season. He was a good defensive player and. It's just a matter of him getting his conditioning, getting his body back to where it should be, and being a, a, a positive defender. But right now, at least one through five, if you have Nick Jordan in that starting lineup, it's a damn good defensive team. Like I said, they ranked in the 90, 96th percentile in defensive efficiency if you replace Jordan Brown with Nick Jordan in that lineup. So uh, we know that that's pretty damn good. So I'm not super worried about Memphis defensively. I think they'll figure it out. That is something that I love for this team is that like, whatever lineup that you put in what, or, or whatever lineup that Penny puts in, you know, all five guys can switch. And I think that can be very, very effective for the team, you know, and, and I think that it, I think that it can really disrupt a lot of teams offenses. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something, something that I'd love to see, you know, especially early in the year. And I think that it, it'll only continue moving forward. Um, do you think I, that the team okay, – go ahead, you're good. Oh, I, I wanted to do a quick shout out to Jalen Young, the the transfer. Jalen Young, yeah, yeah. He's so long. He he his wings. I just feel like his wingspan can go forever, and he's actually really quick and very athletic, and just a good defender. A lot of the lineups really with Jalen Young on the floor are very good defensively. Now, it's there's no ranking for them on online because uh, they had just haven't played enough possessions. But in the, in the lineups that he's in. They're very good defensively, and I, and I think he is a big reason why. So, you know, I, I'm curious to see how Penny uses Jalen Young moving forward because I think he has enough shiftiness, can shoot the ball on, on offense as well, but I think is a really good and positive defender. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Penny uses Jalen Young moving forward. But sorry, go ahead, please. No, you're good. I, well, I mean, what, what I was going to ask is, do you believe that this team is the best defensive team in the AAC right now? Oh, I mean, shoot. 
It's a lot of good teams. I, there are. That's tough, man. That's tough. I guess I'm biased, so I'll say yes. <laughs> I'll say yes right now. Uh, I, I I guess the ceiling for this team defensively is the highest ceiling because they they're so long and like you know we'll talk about FAU later, but they have the length to bother FAU's guards and really just make things really difficult for other teams in the in the American to score. They they are so long and so versatile, like you said. Switch one through five. So I think the ceiling of this team is the best is the best defensive team in the conference. Right now, I would even say still right now, I I still think would think they're the best defensive team. Also, one one more quick question before we before we get into the next topic. Do you feel like this team kind of fouls a little too much? Because I think that was something that I noticed, especially like in the Villanova game and a little bit in the Arkansas game as well. Like, do you think that they foul a lot and how can they possibly limit those fouls? Yeah, I do think they foul a lot. I mean, not only do I think so, the the stats back it up too. They're 167th, 167th in fouls per game. Uh, So it's just they do foul a lot. I I think the best way for them to figure, to to cut those issues down is just better communication, better awareness off ball as well. Like like we saw against Villanova, they just got beat so many times with just cuts the rim and within their natural offense and, you know, Memphis was also playing extra aggressive because they wanted to get back into the game. When you play more aggressive, you foul more. It's just that's just how it goes. Uh, but no, I, I think the biggest way for them to cut down on the fouling is just better communication and better uh, what's the word chemistry between the five players on the floor on the defensive side. Uh, I still I, I don't think it's fully there yet. They can definitely improve. And as time goes by, as they get more games together, they practice more together, they learn Penny's system better. I think the the foul rate will go down uh, as the season goes goes forward. I definitely agree. I definitely agree with that. What's up, you guys? This is the one and only Nick Andre, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you guys have been living under a rock, I do have a new series that's currently going on right now titled Underrated Duels on my Patreon channel. It's where I dive back into a lot of one-two punches and a lot of one-two tandems in past NBA history who may have not won a championship, may not get recognized, but did do some damage as a unit, so Make sure to check that out. Make sure to subscribe to my Patreon. And without further ado, let's get back into the episode. Let's talk about the freshman, Ashton Hardaway, who Ooh. has been really, really impressive recently, especially in the battle for the Atlantis tournament. Um, he's he's instant offense to me. You know, and that's oh, one thing that man. I noticed in the in the um in the Michigan game, in the Michigan game, as soon as he checks in, like two threes, like back to back. And that's one thing that I will say though, especially you know, when the team does get into a funk, you know, adding a guy like him who can't knock down shots is really, really big. So what has been your impression with um, with Ashton Hardaway so far? I, I echo all of that. He's my my favorite moment of the whole Battle for Well, not my favorite. One of my favorite moments of the whole Battle for Atlantis tournament was Ashton Hardaway hitting a three and then turning around and looking at a fan and saying to the fan, I'm really like that. Yeah, I forgot that. about that. I, yeah. I love that because he plays with a bit of, a bit of swag, a bit of chip on his shoulder. Because you know, um, this is not this is not to diss Ashton Hardaway. Uh, he's got a little bit of he's still got some baby fat on him. You know, he's yeah. still, still got a little little something. That's all I was real. I was like, man, like should he possibly get more in the weight room to possibly you know build some more tone on his body or anything? And, and I think it'll come. I, I do remember hearing something in the off season that he he uh, gained like ten pounds of muscle, uh, which is good. You know, I think good. as the strength and conditioning, you get into a college weight program. 
it'll it'll improve. You know, I think his body heel conditioning body heel it'll improve. Uh, but I I know what that's like to have a little bit of little bit of some on my belly, play I basketball, and well. and you know, people look at me like oh, he can't play, blah blah blah. And you know, as I'm sure that's the game. game. Yeah, as soon as you get the game, <laughs> bam, you know, shoot from deep, bang. They're like, oh, okay, so okay, you actually can play basketball. I'm like, yeah, I can play basketball. I think a little bit of that happens with Ashton Hardaway because these college kids, they, they know Ashton's a freshman. They're not super familiar with his game. And they get a little surprised when they see Ashton with a little bit of shake who can splash threes from the parking lot. They get surprised. And I think that gives Ashton a little bit of confidence, a little bit of swagger in him when he plays. Like, I agree. He's instant offense. He, I love his shooting form. It's so efficient. Yeah. It's so clean. There's no wasted movements in his shot. I mean, oh, man, it's just it's, – it's a really, really good shot. Um, and you talk about, you know, lineup ratings as well. You have Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills, David Jones, Nick Jordan, and Ashton Hardaway in the lineup. It's a 158.1 offensive rating. Nick, I don't even know what the hell that means. That is like a 158.1 is I, I can't even fathom. I, I don't understand. That that is absurd. <laughs> that is that's stupid. Right. And a lot of that is because Ashton is is just he, he's he's automatic offense. He's got he's a shooter. He He's a smart player as well. Um, defensively, he actually can move his feet, use his yeah, legs pretty well. I was a little surprised by that. I thought thought it would be more of an issue, but maybe that's a testament to his conditioning improving uh, as as time has gone on. I don't think he's been as bad defensively as I thought he would be on the floor. Uh, so pair that with being being an absolute shooter from deep, and you know, I, I think Ashton Hardaway he has a firm role on this team moving forward. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that, and that's one thing that I realized too. Because I didn't, I, I dove into a few of the games before the tournament, but not not so much like you know, like as I did with the tournament. And I realized like it's like it's crazy because like as I'm watching the Michigan the Michigan game, and as I'm watching the Arkansas game, I'll go back and look at assess, and it's like he's only averaging four point eight points, and I'm like, there's no way with the way that he's shooting like this. So right, was there just not a lot of opportunities in the beginning, and is he now like you know obviously securing his role now over these last few games? Yeah, I think that's a part of it. And I also think a big part of it, too, uh, for Ashton is just playing with confidence. You know, he yeah. saw th- he didn't really he didn't get a lot of looks in the early games. He didn't get a lot of run. And as soon as as soon as you as a shooter, as soon as you see the ball go in, that's such a big weight off of your shoulders. And uh, and I think as soon as he hit those threes early on against Michigan, Penny Hardaway knew that, yeah, we got to keep him on the floor. And Ashton just kept on his groove. And even into the Arkansas game, they kept playing Ashton in Villanova. They played him as well. So I, I think early on it was just him still trying to trying to find his sea legs on a college basketball floor. It's still a big jump from high school to college, as we all know. That's and true. I think now Ashton's getting a little more comfortable. He's seen shots go down. And, you know, look, teams watch film all the time, obviously. They'll see who Ashton Hardaway is. They'll see how good of a shooter he is. And they'll, they'll key in on it. It'll change. The, the defensive coverage will change on Ashton Hardaway, but at the same time, I still think he's such a he's a good off ball mover. He's very smart. He knows how to find pockets of space from deep and and be make himself available for three. And what I love about Ashton too is he's always ready to shoot. You know, you you, yes. you see some sometimes and you and you see them just kind of not shooters. He guys just on the perimeter, just kind of just standing around, whatever. But no, Ashton's ready. Like he's always ready and balanced and in a good good stance ready to shoot the ball 
Uh, and I think the coaching staff knows that. And three-point shooting is is always important to have on any roster. And National Hardaway provides that. So I, I think, like I said, his role is pretty damn solidified. Yeah, efficient shooter, a guy that just gets right to a shot, you know, especially if he, if he plays in a pick and pop, you know, you just feeding the ball on the wing, knock down a quick yep. shot. And on top of that, people don't realize, like, you know, he made some really big threes, especially in that Villanova game, to help, to help you know, kind of cut into the league, you know. Because I, yep. I want to say they went on, like, a 21, 24, 21 run, something like that. Yeah, 21-0 run to get back in the game. And he knocked down a couple of big shots, too. So, you know, Ash is definitely going to have a bigger role, you know, as his Memphis career continues. And I'm really excited to talk, uh, to, you know, to watch him move forward. But let's talk about Mr. David Jones, who – is Memphis's leading scorer. And I'm going to say, you know, watching a few games that I've watched, you know, he's he's a dog. You know, he gets after it defensively. Yeah. He's not afraid of physicality. You know, he's a great attacker on offense, you know, really being able to find the drive lanes and just being able to finish at the rim. One thing that I will say that I want to see him improve upon at least is, you know, his his shot creation off the dribble as far as perimeter shooting. But I feel like, you know, he's a really, really uh, tremendous player. So what are your thoughts on David Jones in his early season? Yeah, I, I guess the big one for me and David Jones, I want to see him improve a bit as a passer. I think he still gets tunnel vision at times, especially when he's in isolation. You know, he, Villanova, they played him much. They played him well. Villanova played David Jones really well, and, you know, he didn't have a good offensive game. Um, he did end up having three assists, so it shows to me that, you know, he was able to find some find the open man at least sometimes when the defense converged on him. But I still think, you know, I want that. I want to see his assist average get up to about three point five four, because that right now, uh, right now, David, he's only averaging one point five. So I want yeah. to see that. In, I want to see that go up. I want to see that go up to the threes, to the fours, because you know I think as as the season goes on, teams will key in on David Jones more, and they'll leave open looks for other people around him. Uh, so I, I want to see his playmaking improve, but as a scorer, as a fearless, tough bulldog score i mean there's not much better in the, in the country this dude i i said i said in one of my articles he's like a, he's a wrecking ball like, yeah. like going downhill he's just he's so strong he's so he, he knows how to use his body to create space when going to the rim he can shoot the three as we saw against arkansas i mean yeah got he got nuclear hot uh, against arkansas uh but yeah he can shoot the three at, at, a, at a good level uh, I just love he again kind of reminds me of DeAndre in a bit in terms of his fearlessness and toughness and energy that he plays basketball. He's he's a really damn good player. Uh, right now he's been Memphis's best player, and I, the only thing for me, I just want to see him improve as a playmaker, as a passer, uh, because I think there will definitely be opportunities as the season goes on to be more of a playmaker because teams will focus on, on in on David Jones more. So I want to see that that part of his game improve, but. Overall, he's been as good as advertised, maybe even better. I don't know if I expected this level of production from David early. So, yeah, hats off to him. He's been phenomenal. I definitely agree. So let me ask you this now. So you uh, earlier in the show, you touched on Mevis's lack of an identity. Do you yeah. think that David Jones is the type of guy that can bring that and also be the leader of this team moving forward? Yeah, I, I, I do think he could be that guy. Right now, he is the guy who's been yeah. the leader of this team. I mean, undoubtedly. Uh, and it's just a matter. I don't know David Jones personally. I don't at all. It's just a matter of, for me, can he be more team first? 
and and that that that's what I want. And it kind of goes to the playmaking thing that I mentioned earlier. Uh, sometimes when you average all those points, you put up all those shots. I'm not saying he's being selfish, but it, it's I still want to see more. I want to see more involvement from from him getting other people involved. You know, is that that's the only, that's a big thing for me and David Jones. But I think in terms of grit, toughness, personality, there's no questioning his effort and how much he wants to win. Those are all traits that a leader of a team needs to have, and he has it. So, yeah, I think he can be the leader. He can, he can be the guy. But I, I still lean towards Javon Quinterly being uh, being the guy who sets the tone for the Memphis Tigers. I really I want him to be the conductor to get things going on the offensive side and defensively. He's he's getting he's he's gotten better at setting the tone on the defensive side as well. Him and Caleb Mills, like I said before, have been a good backcourt defensively. But I still think JQ, I'm not saying I want JQ to take more shots than David Jones, right. but I am saying I want Javon Quinterly to be the offensive conductor for the team. And, you know, I, I, I want David Jones to be able to play off of Javon Quinterly moving forward. That That's what I'm looking for. Now, I get that. I definitely get that. And I love the fact that you touched on you want him to be a better passer because obviously with him being, being the lead scorer, opposing teams are going to scout him. They're going to figure out, you know, ways to stop him. They're going to collapse him stop him from, you know, from attacking the driving lane. So I think that's going to be his responsibility to figure out, okay, how can I get my teammates involved? Okay, you know, how can I find somebody at the corner three or the wing three? Or, or how can I find somebody cutting back doors? So that's something that I definitely want to see from him moving forward, especially, you know, being possibly or being one of the leaders of the team. That's something that he's definitely going to have to improve upon. So, you know, but besides that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of David Jones. Like I said, you know, he's he's a dog. You know, I love I love the energy that he plays with, you know, and he, he plays to win. You know, I think, I think he has that – that winning identity in him. And I think he's somebody that's really great for a team that, uh, that Penny Hardaway is coaching. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the Villanova game. So from your perspective, yeah. what went wrong? Because like I said, I went to watch it today and Villanova came out the gates, knocking out three points. They like they scored 18 points from three and they had 19 at the time. They only had one point from the free throw. Like, like all their field yeah. goals was just three points from the, from the beginning. So what, necessarily do you think went wrong because Memphis did make that second half run. They went on a 21 over on the cut until lead, but unfortunately it was like too little too late. So what, so for in your eyes, what necessarily went wrong, particularly in the first half? I think what went wrong was a bit of what I talked about at the jump, you know, I'm Memphis basketball people and I'm sure the team were kind of just feeling themselves yeah. probably too much after beating Michigan, beating Arkansas, seeing Villanova upset UNC, because I'm confident yeah. that the Tigers were, were looking forward to playing North Carolina. UNC, yeah, that's true. In that championship. That's probably who they wanted. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure. Penny, I'm sure Penny, I'm sure everyone wanted to crack at North Carolina, the blue blood of college, one of the blue bloods of college basketball. And when that didn't happen, look, these are still – these are young adults. Let's not let's not look past that. For it's sure. a natural thing for young adults, especially, to have a, to have an emotional letdown seeing that happen. And it's the it's a coaching staff's job to get them out of it and still play hard and still fight no matter who the opponent is. But I I do think that played a bit into the first half issues for the Memphis Tigers. Because Nick, oh man, you talk 16, about sixteen points in the first half, man. Come on, Ooh. man. Like, what? What is that? Like, what could go wrong? Did go wrong 
for the Memphis Tigers offensively. Villanova's defense just shut everything down. Too much individual play on the offensive side. Too much forcing things to get back into the game. Defensively, as soon as they got blitzed from three, I think that just sucked the life out of the Memphis Tigers. Like you said, 18 points of the 19, first 19 all from deep, as you mentioned, six threes for Villanova. As soon as that happened, and again, Hoopers, we know we know this. You you give up a lot of threes, no matter how good your defense is. Like you can have a hand in the face, and you see that three go in after you did like you play good defense, you put your hand up, you see it go in. A part of the your air gets sucked out. You know, you're, a part of you is like, damn, I just played really good defense. That's still winning. Like, exactly. what am I gonna do? Like, cause I I don't necessarily I really don't think watching the game that Memphis's three point defense was horrible. I don't think it was good, but I don't think it was worthy of that performance from Villanova. They still had hands in the face. They still contested shots. Villanova took tough threes, and they just happened to make all of them to start the game. I I just, I've never seen anything like it before in any level of basketball, that that, that start from deep from a basketball team. And look, I'm just going to give any Memphis detractors, anybody who, who, Stoured on Memphis after that Villanova loss. I'm going to give you all some just cold, hard truth. Villanova won the game by 16 points. Villanova made six more threes than Memphis. Nick, that's the difference in the game. And those six threes are the ones that they made at the start of the game Mm -hmm. to to get to 19 points. One free throw, as you said, six straight threes to start the game. Nick, that is literally... The difference in the game. I'm not a math wizard, but three times six is 18. Exactly. And Villanova won by 16. So I'm so just saying. You would have hit six threes, six more threes. Saying, that would have been a game. Look, man. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like it. That's the difference. Like in in the game right there. I don't think Memphis got ran out the gym. I don't think they got embarrassed. Villanova just got hot. You know, this basketball is a make or miss sport. Villanova made damn near everything to start the game. Yeah. And that was the difference. So, you know, I'm not I'm not super down on Memphis after that loss. It's basketball, it's sports that those hot starts happen. But I am curious to see how Memphis responds. And I think Javon Quinterly said it well in the in the post game that he thinks that Memphis kind of needed that. They needed to get their butts kicked a little bit to, to feel some adversity early on because they were kind of riding high after beating Arkansas, beating Michigan. So now they go to Ole Miss. They go. They go to Oxford, Mississippi, Saturday afternoon, and they play a solid Ole Miss team. And if Memphis lays an egg against Ole Miss, that will show me a lot more about the team than losing to Villanova. They lo- they lay an egg to Ole Miss and lose. That's a way bigger problem to me than losing to Villanova. But, but if they they come out of Oxford with a W, and they play good basketball, they beat Ole Miss. That will really that'll show a lot to me about this team and who they really are. Yeah, I agree. And one thing that I'll say is, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, they got their butts kicked in that game. But I'll I'll say this though, man. If I'm Memphis, I'm going into the next game with a little bit of confidence because I'll be real. They they show some really really good signs in the second half, particularly defensively. Yeah. And I think they did a really good job of chasing Villanova off the three point line in that first half because, like you mentioned. Or sorry, excuse me, second half. Because like you mentioned, yeah. you know, like a lot of the threes came from in the first half, and you saw that they made the adjustments and really closing off, closing out on the shooters, forcing them to be, forcing them to attack, forcing them to, you know, to to initiate more ball movement. So that was something that that I definitely saw in the second half more from Memphis. 
And that's showing, you know, for them to make that adjustment and for them, because they were down 28, 30 points in the first half. They ended up losing by 16. And at yep. one point they cut the lead to, I believe, 12. So, like, yep. if I'm Memphis, like, I got I got, to, I got, got a good amount of confidence. And, yes, you know, at the end of the day, I lost the loss. But, you know, it's like you mentioned, you know, like about what uh, Javon Quinley said, you know, I think that was – I think they needed that to be able to get them back on track. They, they needed that humbling, that humbling experience. And, you know, I think I think they're going to have a lot of confidence going into that Saturday Saturday game against Ole Miss. Yep, fully agreed, fully agreed. I, I love the heart they showed. They didn't lie down. I mean, hell, when they cut it to 12 with about 3.30-ish left in the game, I mean, it, if you're a Lenovo fan, you gotta you got to get a little nervous seeing that. You know, you're, you're talking you're talking about, you know, get a stop, knock a three down. It's now a three-possession game, and who knows? Like, it, that, that, it could have been a comeback of epic proportions. There's just too, just not enough left in the tank for Memphis to, to fully get all the way back. But, you know, I, I'm proud of their resolve. I'm proud of their fight. And yeah, like I said before, the game Saturday against Ole Miss will really, really be what tells me what who this team really is. Right, I agree. So a few more questions before we get out of here, man. I want to dive into this because I saw you put up a tweet earlier today. So the new AP poll that came out, and you had your frustrations about Memphis being on right. So tell the people why you believe Memphis should be one of like one of the top twenty-five teams in the yeah. I think just straight up resume. I think they have really quality wins against Missouri on the road. They beat Michigan in the battle for Atlantis. Now Michigan did lose. Um, they did lose to Long Beach State, and I and I'm pretty confident. I might be misremembering, and Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they lost again in the battle for Atlantis. I can't remember. I have to go who. back and look. I don't remember necessarily. I have to look that up. I I might be wrong, uh, but I I feel like I remember seeing that they did lose again in the battle for Atlantis, uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, but still, either way. We we saw how good Michigan is. They are a good team. They do have they have versatility. They have scoring. They have defense. They're a good team, well coached as well. So that's a good win. Beating Arkansas, uh, that's another really quality win. I think Arkansas is a very very good basketball team, uh, versatile, experienced, really well coached by Eric Musselman. Like that that is that's another quality basketball team that Memphis went toe to toe and beat. On a neutral court, but they still they still beat them. So those are two really quality wins. The Villanova loss again. We just talked about it. Yes, losing by 16 is not good. Being down by a bazillion points at halftime is not good either. But they showed fight. They showed resolve. And uh, losing by 16 when they were down by, like you said, around 30 at halftime, you know, they showed that they're not miles and miles off of Villanova's pace. I still think Memphis is a top 25 team. I still th- I really think they're a top 20 team. In the country really um so I, I i i yes i was bothered that they didn't they didn't get ranked after this most recent ap poll but also they have a lot of opportunities for quality wins moving forward Ole miss saturday they play virginia they play texas a&m they play clemson so they they still they play vanderbilt they play vcu they still have opportunities for quality non-conference wins that'll solidify memphis being ranked team in the top 25 Entering conference play, uh, I I definitely agree. You know, and I'm I'm looking at the the top 25 now, especially I mean more so like you know the bottom rankings. I mean you still got obviously Colorado State, Mississippi State, Alabama, James Madison. I think Memphis could possibly be up there. I think that they're in contention with those other teams. So I think yeah. I think it'll happen in um, only in a matter of time. You know, especially as this team continues to progress. But people, as like you mentioned earlier, you know this is a totally new team for what we saw last year. So 
for them to start off five and one in their first six games, and with there being like a lot more games to go in the season, like I mean, if they can just only continue to keep their foot on the gas and just continue to progress, I think that, I think that they could definitely be up there in these rankings for sure. I agree. They're five and like I said, five and one. If you asked me, you asked any Tigers basketball person that it, if you would take two and one after the battle for Atlantis and they won their first game. So two and one in the winner's bracket. So they win their first two games. Yeah, I take that. I take that in a heartbeat. It just so happens that the championship loss was against Villanova and not North Carolina. That that's the only difference. Uh, But otherwise I, hell yeah, I would have taken wins over Michigan, a win over Arkansas and then a loss of the championship game. Of course, it just so happened it was against Villanova, not North Carolina. But yeah, I think there was still a very good quality performance from Memphis, and still showed uh, to to me and, whole, and to the country it should have at least that this is still a really good team. Uh, they have a very high ceiling. They they really sky's the limit for them if Jordan Brown can get his conditioning together. If that happens, I really think Memphis the sky's sky's the limit. This is a damn good basketball team. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. So one last question. Actually, you know, actually, before before I get into the last question, for, for clarification, Michigan did lose to Texas Tech in the Battle Thank for Atlantis uh, tournament. So they did definitely lose after that, after that Memphis game. But back to the last question before we get out of here. So the AAC is a really, really good conference. A lot of talented teams. Um, I know that Memphis is looking for redemption, especially following, you know, winning that conference championship, but then unfortunately losing to FAU in the first round. And then, of course, watching the run that FAU had. So, you know, talk about the possible battery that Memphis has in their back, especially, you know, being in the same conference as FAU and possibly looking to get that revenge. No, I, I think it's it's when FAU plays Memphis those two times at the end of the season, that's going to be must-watch basketball for the country, for, for the college basketball world. That Those will be must-watch games because, you know, Memphis won the conference last year. They beat Houston. They mm-hmm. became the top dog of the American Conference, which <laughs> a lot of people forget. I don't know how people forget that Memphis was the best team in the conference last year. I don't know how people forget that. But whatever. Uh, ne- moving forward now, people think there's a new top dog in Florida Atlantic. Because why? Florida Atlantic beat Memphis in the NCAA tournament last season. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming to the American. And they basically have the exact same roster, the exact same starting five, that's for sure. And they're still very good. They made a final four. And yeah, this is I, I there are Memphis fans out there, Nick, who think FAU is a bad basketball team. That really? thinks that they're a bunch <laughs> of scrubs, that they're way overrated, and all this stuff. I've I I don't believe that. I don't think that at all. This is still a very good basketball team. I just think Memphis is better. That's that's where I come from. I'm not I don't think Florida Atlantic is bad at all. They are a very good team. Yeah, they lost to Bryant, which is a horrible loss. Memphis yeah. doesn't have a loss like that on their resume up to now. Thankfully, knock on wood. But FAU is still a very good team. They, they're they veteran-led. Their guards are dynamic. They have a seven-foot big, big man who knows his role, can just be an absolute force down low. And they've basically perfected the four-out, one-in offense. They, they've basically perfected it. And they're, they're so efficient. On, on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball, it's a really quality team. I just believe that Memphis has the, the depth that Florida Atlantic doesn't have, the versatility and length on the perimeter that Florida Atlantic doesn't have as well. I think they go toe for toe-to-toe scoring, three-point shooting, but I really think it's the length and defensive versatility of the Tigers 
that will bother the guards of Florida Atlantic. That that's all. That that's where I come from when comparing the two teams. But regardless, when they meet in March, uh, I think I think it's late, uh, early March, if I remember correctly. When they meet, it's it's going to be, oh, must watch. I think late February, early March are their matchups. They're going to be must watch television. I, I agree. Like you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody has to have their have their eyes glued to the team. You know, once these, one, one, I mean, especially you know, once these two teams play. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, with FAU moving into the into the uh, to the American Conference, you know, obviously, like this spikes up the rivalry a little bit more. So I'm excited to see, you know, how Memphis responds. You know, obviously, like I said, you know, that's going to be the battery on their back. I know that this is a new team, but they're gonna they're gonna look to respond. You know, they're definitely gonna look they're gonna look they're gonna look to uh, respond moving forward. So. I'm definitely happy with this Memphis team. You know, they've gotten up to a really, really great start. Um, and I think that momentum will only continue. You know, I mean, obviously the Villanova game was a bad loss, but I mean, you know, it was definitely a um, a humbling experience for them. And I think it'll only allow them to like, see what, what they did wrong, what they need, what they need to improve upon. And of course, you know, moving forward, they have another, um, have another really, really good year. So Francis, I appreciate you for joining the show, man, as always, man, definitely, definitely going to have to have you on once again soon. Let the yes, people sir. know where to find you, where to find your work and everything, and you know what you got coming up soon. Before I do that, Nick, I'm gonna put you on the spot on your own uh, podcast. Let's do it again. On your own pod. You did it last time. Do it again. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna do it again. Where, what? Where will the Memphis Tigers finish at the end of the year? Will they make the NCAA tournament? If so, how far will they go? And I'm gonna bind you to this. This is a binding statement <laughs> from you, Nick. What is your prediction? I definitely think that they can make the tournament. You want me to give a record too, or uh, no, no record. Just how far okay. in the tournament? You know, yeah. round of thirty-two, losing the first round. So, you know, I definitely think that they can make the tournament. I think that they can win the conference tournament once again as well. Um, how far they can get? I can say the ceiling. Depending on how they play, you know, especially if they continue to get better defensively, I could see Sweet Sixteen. I can see that. Okay, yeah. so is that right. your pick? Or is that your yeah. ceiling? That is. That's my pick. Okay, I'll, 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 say, pick? I'll say that's my pick. Yeah. Okay, that's your pick. Yeah, my mm-hmm. I've been telling this to people, and so I gotta stick to it. My prediction is Elite Eight for the Memphis Tigers. Okay. That's that's my that's my prediction, um, and that would be incredible. I, I mean, they be, can, and that's the thing. Like, they could be another one of those Cinderella teams because even last year, you know, we talked about FAU. We talked about you know San Diego State making it all the way, you know, to the championship game. So you know, Memphis could be another one of those Cinderella teams that could make it far. Who knows? I, I think Memphis gets a five seed in, in the NCAA tournament and they make they make the Elite Eight. They, they, they win their 5-12 matchup, an upset happens somewhere, so they end up playing like the, the 13 seed. They beat the 13 seed. They go to the Sweet 16. They beat the four seed. They go to the Elite Eight and they play. They probably play the one seed and lose. You know, they probably play like Purdue or something and they, they just get outmatched against Purdue. Or Kansas, you know, whoever, whatever one seed they face, like that. That's my prediction: is that they make it in the Elite Eight and lose to a one seed. They put up a good fight against the one seed, but lose. That's, Ooh, that's so me, okay. Okay, so let me ask you this though: like, out of all the teams, like, okay, let's say out of the teams in like the top ten right now, like, who do you think that Memphis has the best chance of upsetting? Jeez, man. I mean, that's that's such a tough, yeah. that's such a hard question. I mean, they're. I know you got. I mean, uh, obviously, Marquez looking good. Um, obviously, you still got Duke. Um, who else is on the AP top ten? Yeah, I have to. I'm trying to go through. I'm pulling up right now. 
Arizona, yeah. Marquette, UConn. Miami, Miami's number eight right now. Baylor's number yeah. nine. Yeah, I mean. Houston? I mean, you guys beat them last year in the, in the conference. Well, hell, if we face – if Houston got a one seed and we face Houston, I would love that. That would be incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. to face them in the tournament. Um, no, I mean, I think the team they could probably beat uh, – you know, if they face Houston, I think they could beat them. I think Duke would give us trouble in Miami as well. Uh, I think Baylor, we could match up pretty decently against Baylor. Uh, but I don't think Baylor's going to get a one seed. Um, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, can't, I I don't think we match up well against uh, against UConn. Um, yeah, I mean, you UConn or really Purdue good. for that matter. I mean, he, the only way we match up well against Purdue is if Jordan Brown plays like the Lou Hansen Award winner, especially guarding Zach Eady. Yeah, that that's literally the only way we match up against Purdue. Uh, but other, you know, I guess great. I guess if Memphis makes an elite eight, that's because Jordan Brown is playing really well. So hell, maybe. So yeah, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say it. I think they could beat Purdue if all of, if Memphis is at its peak, because Purdue has, has a an unfortunate tendency for Purdue fans to choke in the in in March. <laughs> so you know, I, I think that's possible. But look, it's these are all top five, top ten teams for a reason. I think Memphis can get to that point, but they're not there yet. Uh, but if they make an elite eight, that means they're really damn good. So we'll see. It's we'll see what happens. That's a fact. That's a fact. But my guy, I definitely appreciate you coming on once again. Like once again, like I said, definitely let the people know where to find you and everything. Ah, uh, yes, thank you. I was about to I almost. <laughs> no, no, you're all good. You're all good. <laughs> yeah, y'all can find me and my work for Bluff City Media at bluffcitymedia.com. I have an article coming out tomorrow morning recapping and giving my opinions about the battle for Atlantis and where the Memphis Tigers go moving forward. We kind of talked about it on the pod. So you'll see some similar things in, in the, in the article tomorrow as well, but that's going to come out in the morning. Super excited about that. And yeah, find my work for blessedmedia.com all up there. Find me on Twitter at slugga sports, S L U G G a sports. Find me on Twitter or X or whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, find my podcast, the Up and Under podcast, presented by the Off the Ball Network. Shout out to everyone at Off the Ball Network the and all ball, those incredible sir. people. Uh, I gotta, I'm gonna record this weekend the podcast. Still trying to figure out the guest. Probably Kenneth. So shout out Kenneth Cottrell. Probably have him on talk some NBA. Uh, but yeah, man, that's that's where you can find me. And again, Nick, always a pleasure. I love seeing the work you do. You're you're Thank an inspiration you, to me. Always oh, the, thank the you, content man. and work you put out. So, yeah, thank you, brother. It's it's always a pleasure. Now, I appreciate you, man. I mean, one thing that I say, man, is that you're definitely very, very insightful when it comes to Memphis. So, I mean, not even just the Tigers, but obviously the Grizzlies as well. You know, you definitely, you know, you're definitely in touch with everything that goes on on with the team, and you provide in depth analysis. So, I definitely want to give you your flowers as well. But make appreciate sure to it. check out the article that drops soon. Make sure to check out all of Francis's work as well. Make sure to follow. The, um, the podcast on X or Twitter, wherever you want to call it. I love the TGB ball. Make sure to follow myself at Nick Andre ATR. Please subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, you name it. And until next time, you guys, deuces.